1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with some breaking news this morning. Thousands go on strike. As the United Auto Workers they fail to reach a deal with Detroit's Big Three, we are live on the picket lines outside 1 4 plan. Coming up. Also, Disney, ready to deal conglomerates and media moguls. They line up to bid for ABC, FX, and other television assets. Disney says no decision just yet. Plus, a big bounce on day one for Arm as it gets set for day two. Why, Instacart is now taking a closer look at that red-hot debut. Plus, stocks coming off their first winning session in three, as futures look to keep the party going. A bit mixed right now. And then later in the show, a rare bright spot for the Chinese economy lifting stocks overseas. It is Friday, September the 15th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Happy Friday. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always... We kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's best day since early August and its first higher day in three. Right now, you're seeing a bit of a mixed picture the S&P and the Dow in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up about 80 points higher right now. The Nasdaq, however, fractionally lower. We're going to talk more about the Nasdaq in just a minute. We're also checking the bond market right now, as always. We begin with the benchmark 10-year. Right now, we at 4.32, actually rising a few basis points this morning and rising this week after that hotter-than-expected CPI report. Important to note, the two-year note also has the yield back above 5% right now. We're also looking at the energy market. Oil hitting an 11th-month high. WTI, this U.S. benchmark, back above 90 bucks a barrel. 90.55, up almost a half a percent this morning. Very similar story for Brent Crude at 94.06. Natural gas, same story, up almost a half a percent. All right, back to the NASDAQ overall and tech. We're watching shares of Arm Holdings getting set for day two of trading after yesterday's monster debut, ARM closing up 25% higher. Right now, as you can see, more than 9% higher. Opened up just over 51 a share. Now at 69.45, um, we saw it lift the Nasdaq higher right now. But even in the pre-market with this move, again Nasdaq fractionally lower. We'll talk more about that in the show. All right, turning back to some breaking news this morning. For the first time ever, the United Auto Workers Union is striking it. All three Detroit automakers that's Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. The two sides failing to reach a new labor contract by the deadline just before midnight Eastern time. Now there are thousands of workers on the picket lines in targeted walkouts at plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. Our Phil is on the ground at a Ford assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan. Phil, good morning. What's the latest?
2: Good morning, Frank. We're here at the Michigan assembly plant. Ford's plant here in Wayne, just to the west of Detroit. Let me show you some of the picketers who have been here. This is the first shift of picketers. They've been here since midnight. Let I me mean, also run down what we're seeing with the strikes, not just here in Michigan, but also in Ohio and Missouri. Ford, GM, and Stellantis plants have all been hit. First time we've ever seen all three of the big three uh, being struck by the UAW at the same time. Three facilities employing more than 12,500 employees Let's hear from the president of the UAW, Sean Fain, last night as he announced the strike.
1: This strategy will keep the companies guessing. It will give our national negotiators maximum leverage and flexibility in bargaining.
2: And if we need to go all out, we will. So it comes down to pay more than anything else in this uh, strike beat by the UAW. And here's the difference in the latest offers. You see what the UAW is seeking. Somewhere in the range of 36 to 40 percent is the most recent offer from then. There you see Ford and GM both at 20 percent. Those are new offers, or relatively new offers, that had came in over the last uh, 48 hours or so. Stellantis still at 17.5 percent. As you take a look at where the stocks are indicating pre-market, keep in mind, that there will be no UAW and Big Three negotiations today. There will be a rally held by the UAW here in Detroit later on today. And coming up in uh, a little bit later on this morning, we're going to be talking with GM CEO Mary Barra about the implications of this strike. There's a GM plant just outside of St. Louis in Wentzville, Missouri, where they, uh, UAW has gone on strike. And the question becomes, Frank, do we start to see other plants being hit by the UAW in the weeks ahead if they cannot come to a resolution on a new contract?
1: Yeah, but we'll be talking about this all morning here, Worldwide Exchange as well. So first, give us a sense of how different from the norm these targeted strikes are and how do you how long do you expect this to last?
2: Well, I just talked to some of the guys here and look, their guess is as good as anyone else's. And uh, they indicated they think they're probably going to be off out you know, picketing for two to three weeks. Remember, once they come to an agreement, if if, if it's a tentative agreement on a national level, all of the local unions still need to approve those agreements, and that could take some time. Um, But the question ultimately becomes, how much movement can be made when it comes to the pay as well as some of the other issues that are there? Pay is the big one. The union is pretty adamant that they are going to have to see much higher offers from the big three. So do we see GM and Ford and Stellantis at some point saying, okay, we'll come in at 24 25%. It's not going to happen overnight, but that's going to be where we see the movement. Frank? So, Phil, you mentioned
1: the stock prices of the big three. Right now we're seeing Ford and GM down just about 2% in the pre-market. Uh, who's likely to blink first in this situation?
2: Well, I, look, it's ultimately going to be the automakers who are going to have to make some kind of a move here uh, because I think the UAW believes they have leverage and that they can hold out. And the interesting thing, Frank, is they didn't hit engine and transmission plants, which would have crippled the automakers very quickly. There's still final assembly work going on at most of the plants around the country, and that will be the case. But if they start doing these targeted, it's almost you know death by a million cuts uh, that the UAW could inflict pain on the automakers. So at this point, we'll have to see if we're going to see some movement from the automakers on some of these pay issues.
1: Our, our Phil we'll see you later on the show. Phil, great reporting as always. Uh, we'll talk much more about this here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, let's talk now about the financial impact of the UAW strike and what it could have on the big U.S. automakers, especially if it drags out for weeks. Philippe Houchois is the global auto analyst at Jeffries. Philippe, good morning. Thank you for being here.
3: Morning. Hi.
1: So I want to ask you the same question I just asked Phil. How out of the norm are these targeted strikes from what you would normally see during a labor negotiation also strikes at all three of the big three?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I think to be, to be fair, we, we've been prepared by Sean Fein about the risk of a, of a wide strike. And I say the first impression is that they're striking widely. Um, but they're also striking softly. Uh, as Phil said, you no, know, they're looking at final assembly. Uh, so they're not trying to shut down the whole uh, value chain and they haven't really targeted the biggest earners. You no, know, they are looking at you no know, mid-sized trucks at GM. Uh, Jeep Celantis has a lot of Wrangler inventory, and then and, and Ford also, they're looking at Wrangler and, and um, sorry, um, uh, Ranger and Bronco. So, if they had really wanted to hit hard, they would have chosen maybe different plans, different products. So, okay. white start, soft start.
1: All right, so you're saying they're not hitting that hard. Still, we're seeing Ford and GM down about 2% in the pre-market. Stellantis actually up fractionally. That's pretty interesting. So you're saying they're striking widely and softly. What's the Mm long-term impact, in your mind, on the stocks if this continues? We've seen the estimates that if this strike takes 10 days, it'll have a $5 billion negative impact on the U.S. economy. What about these Mm -hmm. stocks over that period of time?
3: Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's uh, yeah, surprising to see Stellantis go up. At the same time, I think it's been seen as the most at risk. And in fact, they've been treated like the others, so maybe expectations a bit you know, worse at Stellantis. Um, I mean, we look at it, it's, it's, what this tells me is that because it's a relatively soft start, maybe the parties are not that far apart and they hope to get a deal fairly quickly. So that might argue for a shorter strike than if they were really, really far apart and really hitting hard. Um, the way we look at it, though, is, is more of the impact per week. And, and our, on our calculations, basically, a week shutdown of Stellantis is one and a half, two percent 2% of the annual EBIT expectations. Ford is probably a bit higher, 4 to 5%, and GM, 3 to 4%. Um, we make those estimates based on the fixed costs and sure. what the cost of a shutdown would be if you know, something like 70% of the production was curtailed. But this is not what we're looking at right now.
1: All right. So maybe that's why we're seeing Stellantis actually hired. It's the, it's likely to be the least impacted by a strike, at least in the near term. Um, one about more issu- inventory, mm-hmm. got more inventory. OK, that's another issue mm-hmm. there as well. So one of the big things here is compensation. Uh, we just put up the numbers, the negotiations there. Another big thing is the future of EVs. And these workers want to have some input into that. Um. When we talk about the stocks, this strike, this labor negotiation, what impact does it have on the future of EVs for each of these companies, which I think is a big part of their thesis when it comes to investing in them?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think the UAW wants some commitments that EVs are going to be built in North America, in the U.S. preferably, and also that the pay structure isn't going to reflect the view of the OEMs, which is that EVs are simpler, therefore, compensation might be lower. I think that's a discussion that UAW doesn't want to have. And uh, and so we'll see. What hasn't been discussed that much is maybe more product commitments that the UAW wants to have from the OEMs. And I think, in particular, at Stellantis, the Belvedere down. No, would would uh, would Stellantis agree to reopen Belvedere, commit to an EV production there? Those are discussions that have been kind of below the radar. A lot of discussion about pay, but they're probably very important for the UAW. All right,
1: we're just showing your, your ratings on each of the stocks. Stellantis a buy. The other two holds. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point? The, if this continues to drag on, does it change your price target and your rating for these stocks?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it all depends. I think the first step we'll have to see is is whether UAW pulls back on Ford, because striking Ford today um, kind of undermines the negotiation that Unifor in Canada is having with Ford. So that's first consideration to see whether there's a shorter period of strike at Ford to let the Canadian unions um, agree on a deal. Um, we'll have to see. You know, really, the, how you no. Know, OEMs go back to the table. Right now, again, it looks like a a soft start. Um, I would say Stellantis has the benefit of having a higher profitability and having a more diversified earnings base. 80 plus percent of the earnings of Ford and GM are in North America. Um, It's down to 60 percent of Stellantis, which is no no slight positive for them.
1: All right, Philippe Bouchois, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. we got a lot more ahead coming up on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today, plus much more from our Phil LeBeau. He'll be speaking with striking workers on the picket lines this morning. Also, why Instacart is taking keen interest in the monster Nasdaq debut for Arm and then later in the show. Disney ready to deal. Conglomerates and media moguls, they line up to bid for ABC, FX, and the other television assets. We will tell you what Disney is saying about a possible sale. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
4: Have
0: you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
4: That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at U.S. futures, you can see the Dow has moved higher since we started the show, looking like it'll open up about 90 points higher. The S&P also fractionally higher. However, the NASDAQ in the red right now. Time now to see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway we have our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Juliana, good morning.
5: Frank, great to see you Well, Before we get into the European trade, I think it's worth taking a look at how overnight markets fared. You had the Shanghai Composite end a third of a percent lower. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong gained about seven-tenths of a percent. We got a huge economic data dump out of China. And by and large, the data suggests that economic activity has improved in the month of August. Retail sales growing 4.6% year-on-year in the month. That was better than the 3% expected. Industrial production also picked up. Fixed asset investment did miss expectations, but overall investors have interpreted this data as suggesting we may have seen the cyclical bottom in China. Uh, Before we move on to the European reaction, just note that the Nikkei 225 had traded very strongly overnight, 1.1 percent higher, now hovering around 33-year highs. But on to Europe. The green action that we're seeing this morning seems to be linked to that positive data out of China. The CAC 40 in France leading the way 1.3 percent higher there. And it's the luxury names that are outperforming. Breaking it down by sector, you can see that the household goods basket is right at the top, 2 percent higher. The luxury names are housed within that basket. You're seeing a 3 percent gains for the likes of LVMH and Burberry after that stronger than expected China data. Now, on the downside, the real underperformer this morning is technology. That basket of stocks down six tenths of a percent. It seems to be on the back of reports that TSMC has told vendors to delay chip equipment deliveries. They are increasingly concerned about the demand picture, and we're seeing that way on chip makers here in Europe. Frank?
1: All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. All right. Turn our attention back to the U.S. and Wall Street. Markets are looking to extend some of yesterday's pop as fresh economic data boosts hopes for a pause at the Fed's monetary policy meeting next week. The CME FedWatch tool now showing a 97 percent chance that interest rates remain unchanged, even as striking United auto workers raise concerns of slower growth and higher prices. Joining me now to discuss is Mark Haefeli, chief investment officer at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, great to have you here. Thanks, Frank. All right, so let's talk about it. Are you concerned about a possible impact to the markets from the UAW strike? Um, We've seen data that if if it goes for 10 days, it's a full-blown strike, not the targeted, but 10 days of a full-blown strike that'll cost the U.S. economy about $5 billion.
6: You know, this is a risk scenario. And of course, people are watching it because potentially it can have an impact on that wage inflation. But I think in the The way that we're looking at markets right now, this is not a significant risk yet. All
1: right. You say yet. So you mean in the near term, long term, because there's two sides of it. Obviously, the slowdown for the economy, but also, as you mentioned, wage inflation, something a lot of investors have been worried about long term with different labor negotiations going on around the U.S.
6: I mean, it's... As you said, like we don't know how long this is going on, as the previous guest said, there's potential that this could still be resolved uh, very slowly. and there's you know there's many risks out there. I think the key thing that we're focused on is the fact that the benign inflation that data that we've been getting makes most market participants believe that the Fed has room to pause here and uh, that that's one key. and then the second is that the u s consumer, has remained really strong, and that's, that's okay. put out the fears of recession going forward.
1: All right, so you're not overly concerned about the strike in the near term, fair enough. Um, one of the things that you say that we need to see this, this rally going in the market, at least for this year, is a sustained AI rally. We saw the Arm IPO yesterday close 25% higher. The Arm CEO saying you just can't do AI without Arm, and now the stock's up almost 10% in the pre-market. Is this confirmation that there's more appetite for this AI rally?
6: Well, you know, what, what I would say is that, uh, first, for the S&P 500 to stay up here, it's just kind of mathematical that you can't have a pullback in, you know, the Magnificent Seven names because they, they've been such a source of, of the gains. I think on AI, where we, you know, this is not, uh, this is not uh, blockchain or something like this. this. There's many, many real use cases going on in in companies and i think that we hold out the upside possibility that as this ai gets used by a broader set of companies within the economy uh companies can maintain the margins that will continue to drive profit growth going forward so that's our our optimism about ai is actually much broader as it imp- we, we hear from companies all the time that okay. they're expanding their use of AI. So it's actually I don't want to give the impression that this is a narrow story about chips. Actually, we'd prefer to play it through a broader selection, maybe even software.
1: All right. Mark Haferle, great to have you here. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, why a majority of the world's top CFOs think that inflation in the U.S. has hit its peak. We have the latest CNBC CFO Council survey. It's out. And our Leslie Picker has those details coming up. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have our Bertha Coombs here with those. Bertha, good morning.
7: Hey, good morning, Frank. You know, I remember back in 1995, I was working at an ABC station and became a cast member, part of Disney. Well, apparently media mogul Byron Allen is reportedly bidding for ABC, FX, National Geographic and other Disney assets to the tune of about 10 billion dollars. According to Bloomberg, the offer is very preliminary and Allen is planning to work with banks and PR firms or PE firms rather to finance that deal. The news follows earlier reports that Disney had held talks to sell its ABC television assets to Nextar Media. In a statement, Disney says no decision on a sale has been made at this point. Instacart is reportedly preparing to raise the target price for next week's IPO following Arm's successful debut yesterday. According to The Wall Street Journal, the company now plans to sell shares for $28 to $30 a piece and uh, amend its filing with the SEC today. At the high end of the new range, Instacart would fetch a valuation of nearly $10 billion. And WhatsApp is denying a Financial Times report that its own Meta platforms is exploring advertising models within the chat app as a way to boost revenue. The FT report adds that Meta is also weighing whether to charge a fee to use WhatsApp without ads. That would be a significant change.
1: Yeah, that would be a huge change, Bert. I know so many people, especially people with family members in other countries that just really rely on WhatsApp to communicate. So. Possibly a big shift there.
7: It really is. It's it's critical to talk to folks. uh, uh, If you have family members abroad, I do.
1: Bertha Coombs. Great to see you. We'll see you a little bit later in the show. Thank you. All right. Time now. We're getting a a fresh look at the view from the C-suite with results from the latest CNBC CFO Council survey. And it's a bit of a mixed picture on inflation and the Fed's fight against it. Our Leslie Picker has more.
8: CFOs are feeling much better about the inflation picture. Almost the entirety of CFOs who were surveyed in our third quarter questionnaire think that inflation has peaked with just 5% believing inflation could go higher from here. That said, the vast majority of CFOs predict the Fed won't hit its 2% target until at least 2025. In the process of getting to that target, 70% of the respondents said getting inflation under control will result in a recession sometime next year. The remaining 30%, though, believe the Fed can engineer a soft landing in controlling inflation without pushing the economy into a deep recession. Okay. But higher interest rates do appear to be impacting the way corporations allocate capital. The majority of those surveyed said that rates are having a somewhat negative impact on spending, hiring and investment at their companies. But I thought this was really interesting, Frank. Inflation is actually no longer the number one external risk factor that CFOs are facing. Concerns surrounding overregulation shot up to become the number one concern with 40 percent of respondents respondents choosing that over everything from geopolitics to Fed policy to consumer demand, Frank.
1: All right. Thank you to our Leslie Picker. Straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange for the first time ever, the UAW is striking at Detroit's big three at the same time after failing to reach a deal last night. Our Phil LeBeau is walking the picket lines in Michigan. Phil.
2: Frank, final production has stopped at this Ford plant just west of Detroit. That means no Bronco production, no Ford Ranger production. How long are the picketers prepared to stay off the job? We'll talk to some of them when Worldwide Exchange returns.
1: It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. We are following some breaking news. United Auto Workers officially walking off the job after failing to reach a labor deal with the big three automakers. Our Phil LeBeau is on the ground in Detroit with the very latest. Also, ARM is looking to continue its really a stellar start after surging in its trading debut, jumpstarting what has been a stagnant IPO market. And stocks looking to pull off yet another winning week on increasing investor confidence that the Fed can pull off a soft landing. It is February, September the 15th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. The S&P fractionally higher. The Dow actually moving higher since we started the show, looking like it'll open up about 90 points higher. The story here is the Nasdaq actually turning negative. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, but down fractionally right now. So stocks are looking to notch some solid gains on the week. All three major indices up nearly around one to two percent. With the Nasdaq, the big winner, fueled in part by that RMR IPO, more on that trading debut in just a moment. But as I mentioned, we want to take a closer look at the Nasdaq, which we just said is decidedly lower in the pre-market, falling almost a half a percent in the pre-market. The biggest laggard on the index out of the open, the chip names that you're seeing right here. We're talking ASML down 3 percent, applied materials down almost 3 percent. Similar story for some other names, Adobe in that mix, too, after earnings um, having a tough week. Lamb research down 2 percent, KLA, same story. This is all possibly on a report that Taiwan Semi is getting a little bit nervous about customer demand and is telling its major suppliers to delay delivery of some high-end equipment. Those shares down a third of a percent right now. All right, we'll talk more about that later in the show. We also want to touch on energy, specifically oil, which is on track for a third week of gains, sitting at 11-month highs right now. WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark, back above 80 bucks a barrel, up a quarter of a percent right now in the pre-market, off of its highs right now. Brent crude at 93.91, similar story, off of its highs. Natural gas actually moving higher, up over a half a percent. All right, turning back to our top story this morning, United Auto Workers, they're officially on strike against all three of the big three automakers for the first time ever. The two sides failing to strike a deal on a new labor contract just before the midnight deadline this morning, thousands of workers they are hitting the picket line. Our Phil LeBeau on the ground at the Ford assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan, with much more on this story. Phil, what is the latest?
2: Frank, there are 3,300 UAW members here at this Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan. This is where they build the Bronco, the Ranger, and they started walking a picket line here uh, last night. And let's talk with some of the uh, members here who are uh, now uh, picketing. This is Scott Fox. Scott, how long have you been uh, out here, and, and what was your reaction when you when you came off the job?
9: We started at 12 midnight, we walked out at 12 midnight, and uh, really happy with the support that we're getting from all the membership here, and uh, this will continue as long as it needs to be, and uh, whether it's two to three weeks or six to eight weeks, we're going to be out here to get what we need to get.
2: A lot of people look at the fact that Ford made an offer, 20% raise, changes in the tier structure other uh, things that they have changed in the contract, and they say that's a pretty good offer. What do you say to those people?
9: Yeah, To a point, I would agree with that, but I like to see the things that uh, are the stipulation that we are having with the contract right now and why we are having a difficult time with that part of the deal. That's the part that a lot of people don't see or understand or hear, those smaller pieces that fit the puzzle so everybody's happy, and that's the stipulation that we're having right now.
2: You believe that this is about legacy to a certain oh, extent. Totally. You're close to your retirement. Yes, yeah. uh, but from your perspective, this is about the other guys on the line yeah, too, right? that's
9: who I'm looking for. I'm looking for them two-tier people that have the same opportunity I have when they have 32 years here and to bring it up to a quicker wage. We've got one guy on the line right now that's been here for 18 years. He just made top pay after 18 years. Ten years is part-time, and eight years is a full-time, and he had to go through that eight-year process just before to get to the top of his period.
2: We talked to Jim Farley yesterday. He said, look, we give these guys a 40% raise. This company would go bankrupt in a matter of, of years. We just can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Does he have a point there? I mean, is there if a point we where there's a limit should... to how much oh. you should get?
9: Yeah, I would agree with that. There is a limit, definitely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ask for the world, and you settle for a town.
2: Scott Fox. UAW member, and and hold on a second, Scott. Uh, Frank, go ahead. you have a question for Scott?
1: Yeah, Phil, absolutely. You know, I I lived in Detroit for several years. I'm very familiar with the auto workers. If you can ask him, what does he think about these targeted strikes as opposed to an all-out strike?
2: Uh, The question from our uh, anchor, Frank Holland, is what do you think about these targeted strikes as opposed to trying to shut down the entire company all at once?
9: I think it's a a good move there. It's a very good move there because what will happen is we'll just slowly take each part of the, 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 the pitcher out Start here, because this is one of the best plants that Ford has for profits. And then maybe the next one will be Devonia Transmission. And when that happens, now we're going to start seeing some bigger issues with some of the other plants along that line.
2: Scott Fox. Scott, thank you very much. Guys, that's the story from here on the picket line at the Wayne uh, facility for Ford, the Michigan assembly plant where they build the Bronco and the Ranger. Frank, I'll send it back to you.
1: Our Phil LeBeau live in the Detroit area. Phil, thank you very much. All right, let's talk more about the UAW strike and the overall state of labor in America. Sharon Block is a professor of practice and the executive director of the Center for Labor and a Just Economy at Harvard Law School. She is also a member of the National Labor Relations Board. Or she was during the Obama administration. Sharon, good morning. Thank you for joining us.
10: Thank you. Good morning.
1: All right. So certainly this is a historic day for the labor movement here in the United States. I just want to put this all in perspective. How big of a deal is it to see a strike at all three of the big three automakers, but not a full-blown strike, these targeted strikes? How out of the norm is this?
10: This is completely out of the norm, and this is one of the most mature collective bargaining relationships we have in the country. These companies and this union have been bargaining, I think, for close to 90 years. Um, And this is a strategy that we've never seen before in this industry. So it it is absolutely unprecedented. All right. So according to you, the big issues here are compensation
1: tied to the company's success, hiring more workers and preserving current jobs, and also input into the EV future. Is there one that you believe is the stickiest when it comes to this negotiation?
10: You know, I think... The The idea that the union wants to share in the company's success when they bore so much of the burden when these companies were really having a hard time in 2007, none of these companies, I mean, if you think about the difference in the, the financial health of these companies now compared to 2007, far from being uh, teetering on the edge of bankruptcy, these are companies that are, you know, Uh, seeing record profits, billions and billions of dollars in profits. And this union says, we were your partner back then. We helped save this industry. Now we think we're entitled to to a share of its success. I think that spirit, if you think about what the union is asking for in these negotiations, it's really the spirit of that, that demand to share in the success that explains a lot about what the union is asking for here.
1: Right. From the big three automakers, we have seen offers that would be double digit pay raises. Obviously, the union wants more. Um, Another big thing we have to talk about. This is a bit in the weeds, but the future of EVs. There's some concerns that EVs will have less parts, which could mean less jobs. Um, That's one of the big sticking points in this deal. But it's also a theme just across just the board when it comes to labor in America. Innovation, whether it be automation, AI, how it impacts workers. Just talk to me about in general, the labor movement in America and innovation. How do
10: the two go together? So collective bargaining is really the most important way that workers can have a voice in the future of the companies and the industries that they work in. And I think that's why this strike is really going to resonate with a lot of the public, even people who never have thought about working in an auto plant. Because a lot of people, because of AI, because of other technological changes, because of climate change, are looking at their jobs differently. They know that things are going to be changing in the future, and they want to be a part of that change. They want it to happen with them, not to them. And that's what the UAW is saying here. They're not saying, We don't want to move to EVs. They're not saying we want to stop this. They're saying we want to have a say in how this happens so that it happens fairly, so that the the impact of those changes is done in a way that doesn't put their interests on the sideline. And collective bargaining is really the only way for workers to, to be protected in demanding that kind of seat at the table as many sectors transform.
1: All right. Sharon Block of Harvard University, it is great to have you here on a historic day and just your insight for the labor in, into the labor movement. Excuse me. Thank you again. All right. Be sure Thank to catch you. General Motors CEO Mary Barra on Squawk Box. That's coming up at 7 a.m. Eastern with our Phil LeBeau, who is in the Detroit area. Again, Mary Barra on Squawk Box coming up. All right. Turning now to your big money movers and the biggest stock story of this week, the official public trading debut of Arm. The stocks have to continue its stellar seller start after closing up 25 percent in its first day of trading, looking at shares right now up almost 9 percent. Our Arjun Kapal joins
11: us now with much more. Arjun, good morning. Good morning, Frank. That stellar rally set to continue as well, as you said, shares in the pre-market looking up nearly 9 percent, uh, near 69 dollars apiece. And uh, it's interesting because I- SoftBank and Arm priced this IPO at $51 a piece. So you're seeing a big rally there. And this uh, pre market trade action would value the company nearly around $74 billion higher than that $54.5 billion it came to market with. We knew the demand was high. It was multiple times oversubscribed. You also had some big name strategic investors in this one, the likes of Apple and Nvidia getting involved as well. And it's interesting because there's been a lot of talk made about the valuation of this company. you look at it on a trailing PE basis. It's trading about 110 times, uh, according to its most recent fiscal year. That is above Nvidia. And of course, a lot of people are looking at these in comparison. They're two very different companies. But saying, well, how is ARM valued at this level when it's facing slowing growth in its core markets of the smartphone chips uh, and consumer electronics, whereas ARM's projecting massive—sorry, uh, Nvidia's projecting—excuse me, massive growth. Over the coming quarters as well. So that's a question I think that's going to be a key to investors over the next few months and key for arm really is going to be how does it execute the company spoken about the fact that it thinks it's going to be a big player in the AI space in new areas like cloud computing, the data center automotives as well. And the key is how does the management execute that strategy to show the company, which saw revenues decline in its last fiscal year, return to growth? And that's really going to be key here. They're going to need to show the market here that they they have a plan, that they're able to execute it, and that growth is going to be in the double digits for the next quarters, Frank. So big debut right now for uh,
1: ARM, but historically we're seeing I think it's a uh, 75% of IPOs that have debuted in the last year are actually below their their, their listing price. Um, what does all this action tell us about the possible upcoming IPO for Instacart or the IPO for Instacart? Excuse me.
11: Indeed, well, there seems to be a little bit of uh, you know excitement right now around the IPO markets, driven uh, by this arm listing. There's a report out of the Wall Street Journal this morning suggesting Instacart looking to actually raise the pricing uh, for its IPO. Initially, it said it was going to price it between twenty-six to twenty-eight dollars a share. Wall Street Journal reporting that actually this could be twenty-eight to thirty dollars a share. Perhaps trying to take advantage around some of this uh, fervor in the IPO markets as well. That would value the company at around 10 billion dollars as well now look uh, this is an interesting company it's in the grocery delivery business but it is profitable which is something that investors have looked for in tech companies that are coming to market uh, as well but of course it's a. Uh, facing a number of headwinds, One, the fact that it's called business uh, of grocery deliveries is slowing down. But also, it's a very different proposition, of course, to Arm. Um, arm very much in that semiconductor space where we know there's been a lot of investor excitement around that space, around the future there. This is very much in the consumer space, in grocery deliveries, which is highly competitive uh, as well, particularly uh, in the US and also here in the UK. So it'll be interesting to see how investors approach this one when it starts trading, Frank. Yeah, absolutely. And also grocery notoriously a
1: pretty thin margin business. So a lot to watch there. Argent is always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Apple responding to worries from some European leaders related to the safety of one iPhone model. We have all the details coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with TD Cowing initiating coverage of AB InBev with an outperform rating. It says while challenges in the U.S. around Bud Light are well understood at this point, the trends there are not getting worse, while global growth opportunities should help next year. Shares of AB InBev up almost one percent in the pre-market. Piper Sandler upgrading its rating on KeyCorp to overweight. Piper saying the bank's funding issues are beginning to move into the rear view, and it's becoming more comfortable with KeyCorp's trajectory. Taking a look at shares of that bank, that regional bank, up 1.5% right now. Loop Capital initiating coverage of Kava with a hold rating and a $40 price target. It says it's confident the fast casual restaurant can reach its goal of more than 1,000 locations in the U.S. by 2032. Those shares up fractionally right now. And it's time now for your global briefing. We begin with China's central bank cutting interest rates on short-term loans and injecting nearly $5 billion worth of liquidity into its financial system. It's the first time the bank has taken such steps since January. This coming one day after China says it plans to lower the amount of cash banks must set aside as reserves as it looks to boost more lending following further signs of economic slowing. We are also watching shares of Novartis moving higher ahead of a vote by investors on whether to spin off its Sandals Generics business into a separate company for an approximately $25 billion valuation. If this is approved, the spinoff, which is backed unanimously by the Novartis board of directors, will follow similar moves by rivals like Pfizer, who have sold off patent medication divisions in order to focus on higher value treatments. Also, Apple set to issue an update for its iPhone 12s in France to address concerns around radiation with the device this official this according to officials in that country this comes after belgium announced it's reviewing potential health risks linked to the iphone 12 and bloomberg reporting apple has told staff members to avoid volunteering information to customers on the issue and that staff members should not approve returns or exchanges unless those phones were bought in the past two weeks all right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest says a dramatic drop could be looming for the final few months of this trading year. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We'll begin with DoorDash saying it will transfer its listing from the New York Stock Exchange to the NASDAQ later this month. The move can mark a serious blow to the big board, which has been trying for years to secure more high-profile tech listings. Taiwan Semi is increasingly nervous about customer demand, telling its major suppliers to delay delivery of some high-end equipment that's according to a new report. A number of chip names moving lower following that news, dragging the Nasdaq into negative territory in the pre-market. Tesla is speaking with potential investors for a new $1.8 billion bond deal backed by leases for its electric vehicles. According to Fitch Ratings, if confirmed, it would be the largest such offering from the EV giant. We're also watching shares of Adobe. They are edging lower despite reporting earnings that topped its guidance and street estimates. Adobe shares are still up about 60% this year as it continues to invest heavily in new AI applications shared this morning, down 2.25%. Media mogul Byron Allen is reportedly bidding for ABC FX, National Geographic, and other Disney assets to the tune of about $10 billion. The Bloomberg report follows earlier news that Disney has held talks to sell its ABC television assets to Nextar Media. And the talks between the Writers Guild of America and major studios are set to resume next week as the sides seek to end the four-month-old writer's strike. The sides were last at the negotiating table just about a month ago. All right, here's what to watch today. We have data on import prices, industrial production and consumer sentiment, all due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern and also it's Triple Witching Day, including Triple Witching Hour at 3 p.m. Eastern, where stock options, stock index futures, and stock index options, they all expire. And starting today, the new iPhone 15 models will be available for a pre order if you need a new phone. All right, Triple Witching Day likely to create some volatility, at least according to Goldman Sachs. Here's some new figures from Goldman's derivatives team showing $3.4 trillion worth of stocks, funds, and indexes are all set to expire today. The largest amount of expirations during September ever. Goldman says the range-bound nature of the equity market means a high proportion of open interest in options and that investors, they should expect at least a little market choppiness today. Let's bring in Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, good morning. Great to have you here. Good to see you, man. All right. Triple witching day, a big deal, small deal, so much algorithmic trading nowadays. Do you expect it to create some choppiness?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I would expect it to create too much choppiness on its own. It's uh, probably baked into just about everybody's algorithm at this point. But with the ARM IPO making so much noise and expectations for next week's uh, IPO from Instacart, the market could be uh, the the buying pressure could be working against any selling pressure from Triple Witching Day anyway.
1: All right. So I'm hearing some coulds and some maybes with all that, you know, doubt in mind there. What's your Wex word of the day?
0: Yeah, so my wax word of the day, Frank, I am suspicious uh, of this market. It, it just doesn't make sense to me that it is as resilient as it has been uh, in the face of some really strong warning signals, uh, some stronger warning signs than triple witching day, I should say, because uh, the yield curve, for example, has been inverted for 14 months straight now and doesn't show any signs of correcting. That's a pretty big deal to me. And I think we're still kind of whistling past it as if it hasn't perfectly predicted every single recession the last 10 times we've had one.
1: All right. So, I mean, there is some inversion, but it has, in all honesty, narrowed in the last couple of weeks. I know the inversion is the signal, not the the width, the width of the narrowest of it. Um, But on the other side, we're still seeing that investors are willing to invest in what are, you know, quote unquote, risky assets with the ARM IPO. Um, A a tech IPO, really high valuation, uh, prior 12-month valuation when it comes to P, higher than NVIDIA without the sales growth. What does that tell you about today? after we see just such a strong response to to the IPO yesterday and even the stock up about 8% in the pre-market now?
0: Well, I think, frankly, NVIDIA has done all the heavy lifting on behalf of Arm. Their timing couldn't have been better considering NVIDIA got us all so excited about how much uh, uh, revenue, how much uh, wealth was going to be created by the AI boom over the next decade, let's call it. Uh, And I think just riding on the coattails of what the ground that NVIDIA has already laid is really what's made ARM uh, come out to such fanfare. All right,
1: Uh, one thing I wanna talk to you about is your pick, it's SoFi. It's related to student loan repayments starting back up in October. Um, How does that in your mind help the case for SoFi?
0: Well, if you just consider that student loan payments were frozen about three years ago, roughly, uh, and so far, that was their bread and butter refinancing student loans. But they figured out other ways to make money from banking, you know, selling traditional banking uh, products to their folks, kind of to hang in there and buy their time. So they have a working theory that there's a lot of pent up demand for refinancings that are going to be coming uh, at toward the end of this year. If we do start to hear increases in guidance out of the SoFi CEO leading up to Q3 earnings and even going into Q4, I think that would be a very bullish sign for SoFi shareholders like myself that the the theory that they've been working from might actually have some legs.
1: All right. So you're willing to buy into SoFi today. I want to come full circle. NASDAQ futures uh, under a bit of pressure. It's uh, from a warning from TSMC. What do you see for the NASDAQ today? Does the arm IPO move it higher or will these chip pressures continue to drag it down?
0: Yeah, I think the ARM IPO is going to gloss over just about any other bad news that typical NASDAQ investors, those high-flying tech uh, names, those folks who invest in, that, in the Q specifically are going to move right past any bad news and look specifically at the ARM IPO as ammunition to say, it's time to stay a bull. Let's go ahead and push higher. All
1: right, Malcolm Etheridge, always great to see you. Have a great weekend. Thank you again. And that's going to do it for us. we got Squawk Box coming up next. You have a great weekend as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.